Hey there, just a quick reminder, this is your premier community station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. We are in our membership drive, and we need you to call now at 512-472-5667 and support community radio. That's 472-5667, 472-KOOP. Call now. Greetings, friends. Steve Barber speaking on behalf of my buddy Pedro Gatos, who brings light into darkness every Monday, and my creative cohorts at KOOP, Austin's friendly neighborhood radio station. The past 12 months have been like nothing we have ever seen, and yet Co-op managed to roll with the punches, curating home-crafted programming with diverse musical offerings, as well as pertinent news and public affairs information. We're in the midst of our spring membership drive, the second one during COVID-19. I encourage you to consider supporting Co-op, as you have for the last 26 years, by calling 512-472-5667 or by going online at koop.org to keep community radio alive in Austin. And stay safe. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is Bringing Light into Darkness News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. This show has been pre-recorded on Friday, March the 5th, to be rebroadcasted on International Women's Day, Monday, March the 8th, 2021, at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, live in Austin, Texas, on KOOP 91.7 FM, and streaming live at coop.org. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 46th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, are you ready to go to war? Pedro Gatos and bringing light into darkness, Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on Co-op Radio in 2002. Has been investigating and seeking to present genuine truth-seeking perspectives of how U.S. foreign policy impacts majority populations around the world. We also seek to identify other human-generated behaviors that either create or aggravate human misery outcomes in the world that by definition are preventable and therefore reversible. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world, on the world, population is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice-driven people, that if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is too often we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. Therefore, this show is dedicated to critically evaluating all information before accepting it as believable 
and is worthy for becoming the foundation for building our worldview understandings upon. Tonight, we celebrate International Women's Day by celebrating an international women activist, Kathy Kelly. She shares amazing experiences of courage. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. I am your host, Pedro Gatos. And this is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin, the premier community radio station of the nation. We are in our membership drive, so we want you to drop everything you're doing and pick up the phone and call 512-472-5667. That's 512-472-KOOP. And you can also go to our website at coop.org. We really appreciate your loyalty and support. I also wanted to indicate that this is International Women's Month. We call it a month. Actually, today that you'll be hearing this show will be March, Monday, March the 8th, which is actually International Women's Day. And today we are taping our show on Friday, March the 5th. So if you can follow all that, you're way ahead of the game. And we are really blessed to have with us a woman activist of great stature, and that, that's Kathy Kelly. It is such an honor to have you on Bringing Light into Darkness. Kathy, thank you for joining us. Well, Pedro, I'm so pleased to be on your show and to think of Austin. <laughs> it's a wonderful city. Well, thank you. Listen, last week and the week before, we wanted to pay tribute to another woman that I really admire, there's so many of them. We wouldn't have enough shows for all of them. But, but this was uh, Cynthia McKinney, and she was a former representative, House representative for about 10 years, and she edited a book called The Illegal War on Libya. And for the last couple of shows, we spent substantial amount of time on the 2011 invasion in Libya and the overthrow of Libya and the claims that we did it on humanitarian grounds when, in fact, Libya had the highest human development index of the continent of Africa of some 54 nations. So it was not on humanitarian grounds or else we would have invaded all the other nations first. But anyhow, I wanted to indicate that the war in Libya was illegal under the United States Constitution. And Dennis Kucinich said as much back in July of 2011, because only the U.S. Congress has the authority to declare war and the president had been unable to show that the U.S. faced an imminent threat from Libya. Dennis Kucinich also went on to say the president even ignored his top legal advisors at the Pentagon and the Department of Justice who insisted he needed congressional approval. But I thought for Dennis Kucinich, even that was a little arrogant as if we were the final arbiter, United States, if there is merit to go to war or not, that we're not bound by international laws. I mean, obviously, if we are attacked, that would be one thing. But much of the debate regarding international intervention in Libya did not address this legality issue. And there was an article by Curtis Dobler. Uh, He's a U.S. human rights lawyer, and he made it clear as Cynthia McKinney did in her uh, some of her essays that other people wrote in her book, that the Security Council Resolution 1973, which authorizes the use of force, contravenes the UN Charter requirement, which means it violates the UN Charter requirement that force must be a measure of last resort. So I don't want to get into the specifics of it, but let it be known that we are a, a lawless nation. And just this past week, President Biden just started bombing locations in Syria 
in response to an alleged Iranian militia rocket attack that killed a U.S. contractor. However, no proof has been brought forth to substantiate Biden's claim, and the U.S. response took over 20 lives. And we have over five, I think we have like a half dozen military sites in Syria, and, and they're all illegal. No one invited us in there. They've been telling us to get out. Ostensibly, we, we were going to get out, but we didn't. And it, it's just this unaddressed issue in the world that's just so shocking, namely U.S. military impunity. And so tonight, what I wanted to turn our attention to with just a great authority, Miss Kathy Kelly, going back to the Iraq intervention, which is the anniversary in March of 2003 was the invasion. Of course, before that was the Gulf War and, and all the sanctions and, and all of that. But Antonio Yuhas, we had her on the show back during that period, and she wrote a couple of books about the invasion of Iraq. And really, it was about the theft of the Iraqi economy. And to digress for just a second, if I'm often asked if the United States foreign policy is not intervening on behalf of humanitarian concerns and to protect and build democracies, then what is its motive? And here it is. It lies arguably between looting economies and war profiteering. So returning to the Iraq example, in which uh, Paul Bremer with the Provisional Coalition Authority actually oversaw the literally the privatization and the pilfering of billions, uh, some 8.8 .8 billion unaccounted for based on some audits and such. And I wanted to formally introduce our guest. Kathy Kelly has traveled to war zones and lived alongside ordinary people in Afghanistan, Iraq, Gaza, Lebanon, Bosnia, Haiti, and Nicaragua. She and her companions in Voices in the Wilderness and then Voices for Creative Nonviolence believe that the United States should end all U.S. military and economic warfare. And what I really found striking, and I had not heard this before, but I think it's got so much merit, was that your belief that the United States should pay reparations for the consequences of these unjust wars that have peppered our, our history. But from 1996 to 2003, there were some 70 delegations that were formed by the Voices activists that openly defied economic sanctions. And during that period of time, Kathy Kelly traveled to Iraq 27 times. She was immersed with the people of that country. And later in Afghanistan, beginning in 2011, she visited Afghanistan, put herself in harm's way along with other great Americans and other nationals from other countries, I'm sure. So anyhow, I thought maybe a good place to start, if we could, has to do with the sanctions that led up following the Gulf War, but led up to the 2003 invasion, the consequences of it, and the actual bombing and targeting of water treatment plants, the infrastructure of Iraq over a very short period of time turned it from one of the most advanced Middle Eastern nations to an absolute war zone with a lack of an access to clean water. But can you just share with us, Kathy, what your most striking experiences would help convey to the American public that's kept from the real things that go on in war? Mm. Well, I was in Iraq in 1991 during that war. That was called Operation Desert Storm. And 
We were part of a desert encampment. We had the idea that we could interpose ourselves between the warring parties. That, you know, we didn't stop the war, but it was certainly dismaying, so dismaying the night the war began. I remember it was 3 o'clock in the morning on January 17th. It was quite cold out in the desert, and we were huddled under blankets and shivering and, and watching these planes fly overhead. It seemed like, you know, they were passing above us maybe once every five minutes, fighter jets, and we wondered, would anything be left of cities like Baghdad? Well, what happened to the electrical facilities in Iraq was horrid because people had no fuel, but this also meant that they couldn't properly operate sewage and sanitation facilities. And as you can imagine, you know, cities age, and there's our pipes that are under the ground, maybe, you know, around all that sturdy anyway. Well, you pound and uh, bludgeon the ground, and, and the pipes start to crack. And then uh, impure water mixes with the water that's going through those pipes. And, well, it just got worse and worse and worse. It was like this horrid concatenation of events, Pedro, because for children, and, you know, they've done nothing to harm us. They can't control their government. They certainly oughtn't to ever have been punished. But if a child drank impure water and got gastroenteritis and wasn't getting nutrients because there wasn't a way for people to procure food with the economic sanctions blockading the country, creating a siege, those were first imposed August 6, 1990, and they weren't lifted until 2003. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine all those years, people can't get spare parts. They can't get medicines. Doctors would be looking at these little children and, and, you know, with oral rehydration salts or with an antibiotic. They could have saved a little child that's in a tortuous, horrendous movement toward death and gasping for breath. When children die of starvation, it's torture, I believe. And this is what happened as a consequence of the combination of military and economic war that was deliberate, it was planned, premeditated, anticipated, and all the while it was sold to the United States public as a means to punish Saddam Hussein. So that I think some people in the United States actually thought that people in Iraq ought to be grateful for what we were doing for them, killing their children as a means to punish Saddam Hussein. So when you were in Iraq during that period of time and you saw directly what the sanctions were doing and juxtaposing that with how the American public can be so ignorant of the facts on the ground, because, you know, the American people are good people. And if they knew what you were eyewitnessing, it would have ended. I, I really believe that. I mean, I have to believe that. Mm -hmm. Yet, what was that type of experience? Were you able to access the news as it was being broadcast to the United States public and kind of compare that to your direct experience that you saw was mm -hmm. a much different story? Pedro, I agree with you completely. I think had the U.S. people known every night, night after night after night, those sanctions wouldn't have withstood the light of day. You might remember a little girl, Jean-Benet Ramsey. She was someone that captured people's hearts and their concern, and she was a little girl who was abused and possibly allegedly killed by her own parents. But people knew about that little girl, but they didn't know during the same time period 
about the hundreds and thousands of Iraqi children. And again, I think this was a deliberate suppression of news on mm-hmm. the part of mainstream media that had even just forthrightly told us that NPR once said, we will never give you a platform for your views. And we said, well, we're not trying to get our views across. Just please, could you go and enter into a pediatric ward of a hospital and, you know, bring a camera, take a photo, hear from the doctors. You know, these situations aren't set up like some kind of Potemkin village. This is a reality. And I remember one time NPR people finally did come over to Baghdad. This was after years of economic sanctions, and it was beginning to look like a new military war with bombing and invasion was imminent. And the NPR people that came said, well, we'd like to meet with you. And so we said, well, you know, yeah, we can meet with you, but but would you want to go to the Children's Pediatric Hospital, for instance? And and, and one of the reporters said, oh, no, 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 we're never going to be duped by Saddam Hussein and, um, you know, made to show things that will somehow make it seem as though he's got some kind of justification. And I, I was just stunned. And then one of the reporters before leaving the conversation said, well, you know, there is a connection you could make for me. My kid loves numismatics. He's a stamp collector. Could you help me find a place in Baghdad where they'd sell stamps that I can get for my kid? And I thought, oh, this man loves his child. He misses his child. He'd do anything for his child. Could he not at all see that the mother is sitting cross-legged in the beds on wards that were like death rows, death rows for infants, also loved their children? Mm-hmm. My Irish yeah. temper um, uh, was almost uncontrollable. I thought, I've got to get out of here right away, or I will be standing on a table in this coffee shop screaming. <laughs> well, it's interesting, because I think that implicit racism, if you will, really comes through there. Where When we think of the children that are not our children in another country, well, we just don't think of them in the same way. But part of that is because we're not made aware of those conditions you know, and such. I wonder, could I drop something else in right here? Because I think there's something very, very important to remember. In the run-up to the 2003 war, when you and I knew that there was very minimal mainstream media coverage to tell people what was happening in Iraq, Mm -hmm. there were millions of people. The world came closer than it ever came before to stopping a war before it started. How did all those people find out what was going on in Iraq? It wasn't, I don't believe, through reading the mainstream media. Stephen Kinzer was the one reporter from the New York Times who wrote a story about economic sanctions in 1998. Otherwise, you can scour that paper, and if you go back to 1991, I believe you'll find an article by Barbara Crosset, but... It was like a hot potato. You won't find it in the mainstream media, but you found that people knew. And I think people knew because of a magnificent grassroots outpouring of education and outreach. I think many of the people who had said, no, the United States is not going to invade in Central America, had networks, and they were very effective, and they knew 
how to organize and turn people out. And then so many delegations went over to Iraq, Veterans for Peace, Pax Christi, American Friends Service Committee. Voices had organized many of the religious groupings to send delegations. We just, I mean, we couldn't keep up with the numbers of people. Mm -hmm. Christian peacemaker teams were brilliant. And so all those people who went over there came back running to tell people, this is what we've seen and heard. I, I thought one of the finest documentarians was Alan Pogue from Austin, who photographed people, to, you know, really at great risk to himself uh, many times, and then would come back and share those photos. They went all around the world. And so I, I think that we can perhaps recognize that we came close. Had people done what they did later in Occupy and said, no, we're not going to get up, you know, mm -hmm. sit down, take over an intersection, and then stay there, something like what happened during the Arab Spring. I think that we, we would have come even closer and maybe prevailed. I know that Tony Blair in, in the U.K. was in a panic, um, very, very frightened that if the United States didn't hurry up and get the show on the road and um, do this invasion in 2003, the United Nations and the uh, International Atomic Energy Association's report would come forth saying there's no evidence of weapons of mass destruction, and then the U.K. definitely wouldn't have been able to join in. Mm -hmm. Well, why did they want to do it so badly? I mean, it used to be, I think, that people made weapons to fight wars. But I think now the leaders of countries make wars to sell weapons. And that's kind of the cabal right. that exacerbates the wars. Well, they to sell weapons and then also to just literally take over an economy, privatize it, and have investment companies come in there with their various different types of corporate interests and just make a, make a major haul. Think about it. If you bomb a city or a country, take it over, and then bring in your subcontractors to rebuild it, the Halliburtons, the Bechtels, etc., that's quite a racket. At least it was in Iraq. Let me ask you this. You make a very good point that I've never really given much thought to, but you know, you look at how horrific the outcomes were, but you really pay great homage to all of those groups and all of those people that raised holy you-know-what to say that this was an unjust war and, and perhaps it would have gone on and things would have gotten a lot worse if it was not for those voices. I also wanted to suggest that what you described during that sanction period, I think is really instructive. We're sanctioning, it seems like half the mm -hmm. world right now, you know, whether it's in Venezuela, whether it's in Iran, whether it's anyone that doesn't go along with us, you know, well, you're, you know, we're going to sanction and squeeze the economy, make it scream. Mark Weisbrot from their Center for Economic Policy Research just last year and a half or so documented some 40,000 deaths from the sanctions alone. In one country, Venezuela. So when you think of these sanctions, they can be, and oftentimes are, because they're so much more prevalent, more costly than the wars themselves with respect to the lives taken, or at least rival that number. Well, we certainly are seeing that in the world today with regard to Yemen. The blockade has mm -hmm. cut off desperately needed supplies. It's forced prices up. People can't get their salaries paid. 
and um, it, the country is again being pushed to the brink of famine. And then add to that the horrendous bombing that the Saudis have done using our weapons, using U.S. training, and uh, for a long time having thorough U.S. cover and support at the United Nations. And I think even now the Biden administration is backtracking and giving a pass to a murderous dictator, but also not acknowledging our own complicity in the slaughter of children in Yemen. And then when you look to Iran, again, the economic sanctions are being used to bludgeon people and to try to say that if people don't subordinate their national interests to fulfill our national interests here in the United States, where we have not learned anything about how we need to cut back on our overconsumptiveness and deal with energy better. If people don't subordinate themselves, we will kill their children. And if they don't believe it, witness Iraq. Mm -hmm. So especially in this time when we're facing climate catastrophe and so many people seeking refuge from war and the mass incarceration that plagues our society. This is a time with the prevalence of COVID and the possibility of more plagues when we should be learning how to collaborate with other countries, how mm -hmm. to cooperate, how to listen, mm -hmm. and not to just keep on rehearsing that same old foreign policy predicated on threat and force that says we can bully you because economically we'll hurt you so badly if you don't subordinate yourselves to our national interest. It's not in our national interest at all. It would be so much wiser for us to just eliminate this movement into new Cold Wars and all of the proxy wars that are spawned and start to figure out what do we have in common with China, with Russia, where can we cooperate, and then how can we solve the terrible problems that are being faced by so many countries around the world and our own country. Kathy, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP. We are visiting with Kathy Kelly, the internationalist, human rights activist, and we are celebrating International Women's Month, and this is our membership drive. So we are asking folks to call in and support Community Radio by calling right now, 512-472-5667. That's 512-472-5667. Our operators are waiting. We will be back with our interview and special guest right after this. 